Hey gamers, this is Blix. Uh, I recorded an episode with Bruce Sheffer for the Conmen podcast uh, a couple weeks back, and it just went into the uh, Conmen podcast feed, but it talks mainly about gaming at Dragon Con, and being that we spent most of our time uh, talking about TriTac products, that's what Bruce and I did at Dragon Con. Uh, Bruce and I were talking, and we thought that you might get a kick out of uh, out of this episode so check out what we did at dragon con 2012 and when you're done listening to this episode head on over to conmenpodcast.com and check out that podcast as well most of the hosts that you are familiar with are hosts on that show as well from time to time plus a few that you don't know Uh, we have members all over the united states and one in germany currently and we cover cons, and we are your wingman for any con that you are considering going to or have been to and are looking for other things uh, to do with the con that you may not have known about. Plus, we do interviews, and sometimes we record live events. It's, um, it's a pretty cool show. Check it out and let us know what you think. Welcome to the Funkalicious Funktastic Tri-Tech Games Funkcast. So, Bruce, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the gaming at Dragon Con. Oh, man. I'm still tired from it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I'm still trying to recover. Yeah, late nights, early morning. Well, you did early mornings and late nights. Yes, I did. <laughs> so, you know, when, when people go to Dragon Con and they want to do gaming, um, how, how does it all work? I mean, if you've never been and you're going to go and it's, it's your first time, uh, how does that play out? Well, there's really uh, four different areas of gaming. There's the uh, video gaming, which is up on you know an upper floor of uh, one, of the Hilton, uh, and that's pretty much its own domain. It does its own thing. It doesn't talk to anybody else. You know, it just does it. And so, if you're into that, like my son was, you spend all your time up there getting into tournaments and you know running around in Halo and whatever other game that they're having a tournament in. Uh, if you're into board games, uh, then you go down to the basement of the Hilton, uh, what used to be the dealer's room. And there they have card games and board games. They also have the pods for if you're into the battle tech uh, and a number of other things that, that go on down there. And that's also where the uh, RPG Gaming Central, where you sign up for games, get tickets and things like that. That's also down there. So if so. Getting into gaming um, is pretty darn easy at DragonCon. I mean, you just simply walk down to that area. You can uh, you can buy your tickets online ahead of time, and they are three dollars for the uh, actual RPG games. I don't know how much they cost for the board games, uh, but it's probably the same amount. It basically gets you into a game for three to four hours, unless of course it's a really short game and maybe they have different prices. 
I don't really know. Um, I played a couple of board games at Dragon Con, had a really good time. And every time I did play a game, they said, and you can buy this game for only X amount. So uh, <laughs> I think it's in their best interest to, to run demos of games because then they immediately try to run sell them, which is, uh, I, know, I think it's a great idea. I wish we did more of it ourselves when we ran our gaming sessions. Now, do they, do they sell them right at the table at the board game? Sometimes, well, it, it, it depends. If the game, if they're literally showing you the uh, pre-release version of the game, where you know they, it's it's the stuff that's been sent to them for approval and they're using it to no, uh, but if it's if they actually have come out with a game recently right before then or whatever yeah they usually will have lots and lots of copies of the game to sell at a discount because uh, first of all it's it's a neat you know, like you're already paid three dollars into this game so we'll let you have it for you know five dollars off and so you get a deal. Uh, otherwise, you know, and also saves them from having to go and buy a very expensive table in the dealer's room. Okay, so DragonCon is fine with that. They don't they don't have any problems with you selling games right at the table. I've never heard of a problem. <laughs> okay, that's cool. No, I mean some some conventions are picky about that. They they want you to buy a table. Yeah, I know, but see, you know, that's the thing that I think that even GenCon needs to wake up to, and that is that, you know, not everybody has enough of a. Uh, I don't know, enough of a market, enough of a uh, selection or whatever to be able to afford a table to, to make it worth their while. And that uh, they tried to do that a little bit at Gen Con by having one product tables where you could, you know, literally just have a single product. It was a very small table, but you only had to pay a fraction of what a normal table, a normal dealer's booth area would go for. Uh, you know, so that's. That's, I guess that's good for some people. I just think that, uh, you know, if you're into gaming the way that Gen Con is and the way Dragon Con used to be, then uh, you might want to encourage it a bit more. But anyways, there's tons and tons of gaming. Whatever kind of gaming you like, you'll find that there are Dragon Con. So uh, now we, of course, were interested in the um, RPG uh, gaming. And there were two different kinds. There's one called campaign RPG and non-campaign RPG. And campaign RPG is things like Living Greyhawk. Any of those ones where they just continue forever and you just come in and you just, you know, you're, you already have your uh, Living Greyhawk. Or I, I know that, that that's gone away. But I mean, there's other ones like pa the Pathfinder Society has their own campaign that they just bring product in and people get together and they get experience points that record online. They had their own thing. Uh, everybody else goes into the non-campaign RPGing, and that's up on the third floor of the Hilton. And they're, we're getting more uh, room out here next year, which is, they already have, like, you know, most of that floor, so it's not a small area, but it's nothing compared to Gen Con. I mean, it's, it, Gen Con is, we're talking about maybe four normal conference rooms with tables for gaming with maybe about uh, uh, six or seven tables in each compared to, as you saw at Gen Con, hundreds if not thousands of tables right right and and what's what's kind of cool is is that um if if you wanted to if you want to run games there there's plenty of open you know open slot and everything uh for you to do that right well they certainly encourage you to do so uh there it was very easy for you to uh uh, come in and, and, and register a game and just, I mean, you just do it online. Say, I want to run this game, and they're fine with it. Uh, they're fine with you using tickets to other games as tickets into the game. They'll sell you generic tickets right there at the uh, uh, assemb assembly point, something that you don't get 
at uh, uh, Gen Con. You do that Dragon Con. So it's they're very encouraging to do that, and they're also uh, perfectly happy to have two different game masters combine their their people into one game if there's not enough of each, which is what we did uh, for one session. Right. Yeah, we um, did that. We did that twice, right? Right. You know, and and that's no fault of ours. That's just uh, it's the way people were going to lunch or whatever they were doing because um, all those tickets. I mean, they had sold tickets to these events. There were plenty, uh, so we were expecting full tables. They just didn't show up. Right. Right. And that happens. Yeah. You know, um, that 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 happens all the time. Yeah. Um, but it, it's kind of cool, especially if you go there with another game master, if you're, if you're working in tandem. So if you, you know, like, like we're representing TriTech games. So Bruce and I, it, it didn't matter to us if, uh, you know, if we didn't have two full tables, if we just ran one full table, because that still got us to, you know, put out the product. So. Yeah. And the players were really cool about it. They didn't say, oh, no, man, I came to play this game. I don't want to play your stinking game. They were very nice. Right. They they were very. They said, "Hey, this sounds like an interesting game. Sure, we'll play it." And so I just want to I just want to sort of shout out to all the great gamers who came to Dragon Con who were willing to have a good time. You know, even if a little switch up happened at the end. Right, right, yeah. Especially the uh, like the one I was running was a uh, was a high adventure uh, Indiana Jones type adventure, and yours was an investigation. And the guys came, uh, the two of the guys came to uh, to play in the high adventure one, and they wound up in the investigation one. And they were they were kind of they were they had they took a few minutes to adjust, like they had to switch gears. But once they did, they were totally into it and had a great time. So uh, what do we uh, let's talk about what you ran first, Bruce? Let's um, just go over it real quick and and um, okay, well. The very first thing I ran was the Pittsburgh Ripper um, uh, adventure. This is from the Stocking the Still City supplement that was first published back in 1992 uh, under the original TriTech rules. And I, uh, I was running it under the D20 Modern because I wanted to have some D20 representation there. Because there's still a lot of people out there that's, that know D20 and they're willing to take a chance on a, a game they haven't seen before but they might not be willing to take a chance under, like, say, Savage Worlds, where it's an entirely different system than what they're used to. So I wanted to have some stuff there. So what we have here is we have a murder in Pittsburgh, a dismemberment, and the team has to find out whether or not, you know, there's something supernatural going on. It's pretty clear that something, you know, if not supernatural, hypernatural is going on. Uh, and right. they... They, they managed to muddle their way through it pretty well. Uh, it's uh, it's one of those adventures that really needs more than a four-hour time period because it is a lot of investigation. But they managed to pick along it pretty good, and uh, they uh, pretty much uh, finished it up pretty good. Uh, I'm you know I have run this a, a bunch of times at conventions, so I. I know how to get it to go along. The biggest problem we run into is where they get a little bit too embroiled in one part of it. So they decided to do all the research. They were breaking into the building. They were they were having a big uh, mano a mano with uh, one of the major NPCs, and and that was fun. But it didn't uh, actually you know help them get to the end of the adventure fast enough. So that was uh, a, a little bit of a problem there but that's they certainly got to under see the the full bureau 13 investigatory aspect of it they love the hacking they love being able to whip out a, you know a super science piece of gear and and just you know walk through things and pull the wool over people's eyes by doing you know all kinds of uh, cons and things like that which was just part of being a bureau 13 agent so they they got to do that 
So I really thought they got a good feel for the game, even though they didn't get to the big finish like I wanted them to. Right, right. And uh, what was the? You ran a couple other things. Well, let's see here. That was Friday, and then we uh, then we moved on to uh, let's see here. Uh, oh, that, I'm sorry. That was that was Friday, at 1 p.m. Actually, my very first one. I'm sorry. Was Burn the Witch, and uh, those people had a great time uh, going back to 17th century. Uh, uh, South Carolina uh, on, on an alternate earth where the French had set up a colony and had found a young woman uh, uh, on driftwood from a pirate uh, destruction of her boat and they took her in and then bad things started happening in their community and they decided she was a witch and were putting her on trial. So the, uh, uh, the, the French were the team members uh, they, just as I did it in Gen Con, they come through, they run into a bunch of Indians who are having a, uh, 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 you know, a, a trial of manhood by fighting wild boars and proceed to screw it up by rescuing them. <laughs> right. And, you know, and, and uh, which they get yelled at by the, the, the uh, leading uh, Indian who's supposed to be overseeing this right of manhood and who basically says, you know, you, you know, troublemakers, you know, you're, you know, go back to your uh, your colony over there on the coast, and they're like, "Oh, okay, fine, thank you." <laughs> yeah, they that's go. what they were looking for anyway. Right. Well, you know, they, they, if they, there's been a few people who've actually followed the Indians, and that is an entirely different adventure. I mean, really, it's 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 entirely different than what they would happen if they went to the coast. And I'm ready for either way, but almost always they go to the coast and they get there and they find these people. They see the trial. They, uh, they find out that the girl in question is fringeworthy uh, as a witch, and then, of course, they have to rescue her. And uh, they managed to do so uh, pretty well. They were using, un unlike the previous one we did at Gen Con, they, we were using uh, the drama cards, the clockwork right. drama cards. And one of them had uh, a card that said, uh, you meet people and they immediately accept you for whatever uh, person you claim to be. So they claim to be witch hunters from the Vatican. And so they were like, oh, well, then here, here's a witch. Right. <laughs> Go take her, take her right. back to the Vatican and do what you wish with her. And it was like, oh, okay, fine. Thank you very much. And uh, that adventure could have been over very, very quickly. <laughs> but <laughs> they managed to uh, um, you know, mess around and check out enough things to get into enough trouble that they still managed to get a couple people killed before they left. And and as it, in this particular adventure, uh, it turns out that she's not a witch, but she is a um, uh, she's she's an ex she's an extremely lucky person. Uh, unfortunately, luck has conserved in this particular world, which means that if she's really, really lucky, other people are not so lucky. Ah, I see. And so all the bad things were happening really were her fault, though not consciously. Uh, and, and the big and the reason that they, all these bad things were happening was it took a lot of luck to keep her alive after she uh, got, got cast away on that piece of driftwood after the uh, after the attack on her ship by pirates. So she right. shows up with a big, huge luck debt that has to be paid by the members of this community, and they they're smart enough to realize that something's not on the up and up, and so mostly the the fringeworthy people were too. So that was that adventure. Okay, and then, um, and then I think the next one, uh, you did you join me on the next one? Oh, actually, no, that's the one I joined you. That was the murder at the Chessex house, and those people really did really well with this. They got, I mean, 
they they got to use the Bureau 13 uh, Mark II Spook Smasher, the uh, basically the, the the gun that's used to disable ghosts because they knew it was a haunting. They did a really good job of investigating it. They got almost all the clues. They uh, were able to figure out where the the, the body was buried literally that was causing all the trouble and got into a knockdown drag out fight with the ghost and managed to just totally take him down. Again, using some more of those drama cards to really make a few changes that they thought that would really make the thing exciting. Right. And so that was probably one of the most successful of, of the uh, ones we ran because that, and you were in that one, right? Yes, that's right. And who were you playing? I was playing the leader. Okay, so uh, th- this this was an adventure using Team Fremont, John Ryer's uh, little campaign group out of Washington, uh, and you were playing Seth Green. That's who's, it. Who's the biker rock star leader of this uh, small uh, weekly newspaper that puts out stories like World Weekly News, and uh, so you and and they pretty much ran roughshod over you. They did. Why? Well, that's fine. I was, I, I was letting them because you know I figured they were, were, we were there to entertain them. So right, I let them do their thing. I let them have their their day in the sun. So that was a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed it. Yep, that was good. And then, um, and Sunday, I wasn't there for your game Sunday because you yep. did that early in the morning. Sunday morning was the strange death of Daniel Stewart, and that's about a Bureau Thirteen agent who is drowned in his living room. Uh, he just literally starts spitting up water, falls down, filling like a fish, and dies. And you're in, and you're to investigate why he died and find out. Well, it's pretty much assumed that there's probably a supernatural reason for it because of the of the conditions that it happened uh, and the fact that he is a Bureau 13 agent. But to find out why and to see whether this is an ongoing threat because this could have been the very first of, of multiple attacks on Bureau 13 agents. So it's very important that they figure it out, and they they find a uh, uh, a, a very strange story that ends up in uh, North Canada. And I used a uh, uh, a different technique in this particular game because it was so strongly investigative. Uh, I, I wanted these people to get a little bit of chance to have some some action, some excitement. That you know, and so I started it off in media res them having a, a basically a gunfight uh, with a, a bunch of Native Americans up in Canada, uh, and they were you know uh, as part of a, uh, them traveling over to their village, and then after they resolved that successfully. Then I took them back to the actual beginning of the adventure and let them investigate it up to the point where they had to go to Canada, have that experience with the gunfight uh, with the against the Indians, and then kind of force their way into the tribal area and confront the guy that they were there to confront. So it was, uh, and they managed to complete it. They completed the entire adventure. They they got to make the big decision at the end, which was, you know, do we is it better just to leave things be or shall we, you know force our, you know, uh, force people to do things they don't want to do because we think it's best. And that's, I always thought that's an essence of Bureau 13, which is to make the players, the characters, make moral choices about, you know, things that, that will greatly affect other people's lives. The Meller escaped from Hatsumi Base. Yeah, well, you were off going off to your parties and, and all the stuff with the Skeptic Society. I was busy, you know, <laughs> trying to keep the Meller from destroying the Earth. Right, right. And this was the very first time that all the Meller 
escaped. Oh, really? Okay, I didn't know that. Yes, they worked together. They, you know, they did a really good job of of using their skills. Uh, I and I even toned it down from the way we'd done it at Gen Con because I thought it was pretty. It was a little overpowered. Uh, some of the decisions that we made about how to run the Meller, and that's something we need to discuss about, you know, the Savage Fringeworthy about, you know, how the Meller operate. Because uh, right. they they really were a little bit too overwhelming the way that uh, we were doing it in the Gen Con, and is but even so they they had really you know they did a great job they were you know they, they they finally woke up to the fact that they were huge combat monsters and they just started tearing through all the soldiers they uh, they they found some equipment that they needed and managed to uh, escape all of them escaped from Hatsumi Base and also destroyed the entire base by setting off the uh, uh, the nuclear weapon that was built into Hatsumi base to prevent an alien incursion from occurring or something like that. You know, a biohazard oh, wow. from escaping. And they, 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 they were able to get into uh, Gerald Borden's office and activate that so that it destroyed the base after they had left. Huh. So it's pretty much a hundred percent win-win for everybody there. Wow. Okay. So I didn't talk to you about this. Yeah. This is the first time hearing about yeah, this. They did a really good job. I was very proud of of their, you know, the, the way they were able to really grab onto it. So it was it was good. Now was was anybody at the table familiar with um, the Meller or uh, or Fringeworthy or any of that kind of stuff? I think two of the players were familiar with Fringeworthy. However, I, none of them had ever played Meller before. Okay. So it was really a, a a new thing, and they were just like, you know, they. they you know, they were all new to the Savage World system. Not, not none of them had ever played Savage Worlds before. So, you know, it was one of those things where you look at the dice and you say, "Well, okay, you know, someone who's just barely able to do something has a D4, and someone who's really, really good at something has a D12." Well, that's not much of a difference. A D20 parlance that isn't much of a difference. You know, you're talking a difference of ten of of, of eight dice uh, points between the four and the and the twelve. So, but in the, in the D twenty, uh, I'm sorry, the Savage World system, that's a huge difference, and you and you start seeing some amazing stuff happen. And one of these guys just started exploding his dice all over the place, and just he was just dismembering poor soldiers and left, and just just acing everything inside, and he, he got really hot, and it was it was cheering him on, and it was good. We all we all had a great time. I agree. So then uh, I ran. Let's see, what did I run? I ran Land of the Lost Lightning Crystals, which Just is a hardware hunter land adventure. Yep, and uh, it's a systemless, so I used, I chose Savage Worlds as a system, um, and that went really well. That matter of fact, that went, that went, that was excellent. I think you, do you join me for that one, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. That was the one where you know that that was the one where I had to give up mine and 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 play something else. Right, 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 and uh, you know it's it's basically it's a it's a Indiana Jones ish level adventure um, where uh, somebody has stolen a bunch of these lightning crystals and you have to go get them and they're on a dino island so it's you know trekking through the dinosaur woods and uh, f- fighting off raptors and slee stacks and um, it was fun it, it's a it. It's one of those things I, I refer to as sort of like a candy adventure where uh, there's not a lot of investigation. It's just uh, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, you're you're basically on a on a saga on a quest, 
and right. things just kind of follow one step after another. I mean, the I think the only time we had to make a, any kind of a real skill check was to actually follow uh, the trail left by this one character. Yeah, and, and that's the, that's really the only place where you really have to make a decision. You can go left or right, and it would affect what you have to do, what you have to do next. And it's easy to make what, what you would call the wrong choice, you know. But it's not all. It, you didn't really make the wrong choice. It's one of these things. You're set up to where you know you can go left or right, and there's all kinds of reasons why you would take either one. Mm-hmm. And and neither one of them's really wrong. It's just one is a little better than the other. Right. But we got to we got to fight raptors. Yes. And anybody who's ever watched uh, Jurassic Park has always wanted a shot at, at fighting raptors. Right. Right. So we got to do that. So that was fun, and and the players seemed to have a really good time with that, and and we were using the drama deck for this one as well, the the clockwork drama deck. I tend to use it for every game because uh, Steve, who developed it, is a friend of mine. And he wanted me to make sure I tried it out with everybody, and because it's really fun, and and we had a good time with it. Uh, one of the guys played a card that turned out really funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he he uh, wound up making it so that just the way the cards played it it. Brought in strong implications that he and the villain were lovers. So, and he was playing a male character. He was playing a male character, so it it, it put a really funny twist on the end of the because he played it right at the end, and it was yeah, it was it was kind of like because all of a sudden he you know this uh, the dirty Pierre the person we were trying to find he would have been fighting us, but then all right. of a sudden he had to change alliances to protect the person he cared about and come on our side. Right, which totally changed the whole combat situation. Right, and and that worked out really well. It actually helped you guys out a lot. It's a very well played card. And then, so I didn't run the Deutschland Uber Alice, which is honestly that was kind of fine with me. I've run that thing so many times. I think I'm done running it. I think I'll take a break from it. Okay, um, I just enjoyed it so much the one time I played in it that I just think it's one of your better adventures. Oh, it's a good one. No, no, it's really good. I really like it. Um, but it's it's just I've run it so many times, and then I had run it at Gen Con, and so I was I was I wasn't too upset to take a break from it this time around. Um, but then I ran uh, this uh, adventure called The Baron's Quest, and as basically fringeworthy agents uh, or fringeworthy um, IDET, sorry, IDET members go to uh, a medieval world. That's similar to the to Earth, but different in a lot of ways. It's sort of like it's basically like a D and D world. The first contact has already been made, and they're going there to shore up relations and get a, a basically a bolt hold, a safe look, a, you know, a safe house in that location. And they're going there to negotiate that deal. And when they get there, it turns out that the the Baron has been attacked. His little barony, because it's a very small barony, has been attacked. And uh, his men have have been forced to retreat, and his family ha- had to hide out in the basement of the um, of his keep. And he offers the team whatever they want uh, in exchange for going and getting helping his family out because he's too injured and his guards are too uh, injured to to go take care of the situation. And what did uh, they want? Um, oh, what did the team want? Oh, they negotiated a uh, a parcel of land. Um, a nice bolt hold for themselves, you know, for for storing equipment and stuff. And whenever teams come in, they get a small supply of money to help them move about the country. So, did they uh, also negotiate for a servants and and uh, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. The house, the the house that they would have would be taken care of and watched over by the um, by the baron. Yeah. Um, and they would be supplied with um, with guides and stuff like that. Did any of, the, any of them decide to husband or wife while they were there? 
No, no, they didn't. But uh, one of the guys made sure to secure himself some uh, some gold on the side. Because I I played the the Baron like like anyone from that period of time, you know. Uh, if they had asked for money, that's what people expect. You know, so mercenaries uh, are expected to to be paid in is gold. So he said, "Well, you know, I'd like to have some gold for myself." He's like, "Well, then, you know, of course." So I always think it's interesting that you know the the hand uh, you know of, of the of the daughter or or the son, you know, the marrying the prince has always been a huge trope in all medieval types, you know, adventures. And so few people in in fantasy uh, or any kind of RPGing that, in my experience over many years, ever go for it. Unless it's literally handed to you saying, well, you're doing this because you want to marry so-and-so. But they never do it for themselves. I'm always surprised at that. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good point. I don't, I don't know um, why people don't do that. I mean, if... I can understand with with fringeworthy characters, you know, in a fringeworthy type setting, because you want to be free to move about um, to different worlds and everything like that. Oh, but, you, but you're right. You don't have to. I mean, she she does she or he doesn't have to come with you as you go exploring. No, no, but it just you makes could, it... you could be like a trailing salesman, so to speak. Oh God! I mean, there's people. There's people. I mean, you know, we we have lots of examples of that in our own world. We have sailors who go out on ships, and we have uh, we have traveling salesmen. Uh, and um, well, and and of course soldiers. Well, so that's true. Yeah, so those, those true. are all cases where people are gone for extended periods of time, and then they come home and they get reacquainted again, and then they you know go back out again. So you know, I'm just surprised. I've only had that happen in my campaigns one time, and and and, and what surprised me more than anything else is that after he did it, as uh. He said, okay, well, I've decided I'm not going to adventure anymore. I'm going to stay here. And I said, you're going to give up being a, a fringe-worthy explorer? He said, yeah, I don't want to leave my wife and my kid by themselves on this world full of dangers. I'm like, well, you, you rock, man. That's great. <laughs> so he had to roll up a new character. But that's the only person I've ever seen do that. Huh. It's, well, that's interesting. I just think yeah. it's so interesting that people don't do it. So. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. So then, um, so they they did that adventure, and what was interesting about that was is that I had uh, two players at the table who have um, been working with Sean Fannin, who does Savage Worlds or works with. What's his role in Savage Worlds? He's the he's one of the developers. Is that correct? No, uh, I I don't think he's a developer. He has his own game world, Chantier, and and of course he's he's thick as thieves with all the you know with the the Savage World insiders. So yeah. Right. So, well, two of the players that I had have been—I I don't know at what capacity—but they've they've been working with him in some capacity, doing helping him with design and play testing and stuff. So, and if I'm wrong, Sean, sorry. <laughs> Feel free to come on our show and correct me. Right. Right. Um, but he, they, or the two of them, the, a girl and a guy, they had a great time with it and they enjoyed it and they. Uh, they they thought it was it was awesome the way I ran Savage Worlds. They they thought it was it was done perfectly, um, and they on top of that they were they they found it really interesting because they've been playing so much. You know, you're talking about really hardcore Savage Worlds players. Um, they've been playing these really high level characters, and of course I brought them in as um, as seasoned. So you know this is the second level up, yeah. does, and they thought it was. Right, they thought it was fun actually playing low level characters that they had to worry about things that they haven't had to worry about in a long time. So, it was a good time. If you go to conventions, then you need to check out the Con Men Podcast. 
We cover cons across the nation and bring you the inside scoop of where to stay, how much it's going to cost you, and what not to miss. We also interview guests, record events, and talk about successful conning in general. Check us out at conmenpodcast.com and find us on Facebook, YouTube, and iTunes. Let our team of convention experts be your wingman so your next convention is as awesome as it can be. And we'll see you at the con. Okay, so you know that was—I mean—that was my gaming experience. I had a good time, and I—I I thought the—I um, thought the game room is is done really neat. You know, they—they they pull you into this room, and and all the game masters sit there, and they call out um, who's coming in for your game, and then you know you take however many players are there for you, and you can sit around and wait and see if any more players want to jump in with their generic tickets, which is—it's kind of cool because you know people can just come in with generic tickets and just wait to see what kind of game they want to get into. That's. I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, you, there's a lot more sense that you can get into a game at, at DragonCon than there was at Gen Con. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Gen Con, the, the games sold out really fast. Yeah, but but even sold out games at DragonCon usually had one or two places you could get in. And so and, you know, it's it's run pretty well. I like the space. You know, it, it's. Um, I'll tell you one thing. What's really nice about it is some of these conventions I go to. You go into the gaming area and it'll be like really hot. Or to be super crowded, and you don't you don't really have that here. It, it's you know the tables are nice; they're fairly spaced apart. I mean, there you get a little noise spillover depending on the table. You can get a table next to you that's really loud. Uh, but what's what's really nice is the temperature. You know, the air conditioner they keep that pumping, which is really nice because they don't call it hot Lanta for no reason at all. And it gets you know you'll come in from outside going to get lunch or something and and be exceptionally hot, and you can go into the gaming room and cool down. It's really nice. Well, one more thing, real quick. We I thought of this before when we were talking earlier. Uh, what about like magic card games, that kind of stuff? Do they? Uh, we didn't mention that at all. Do they do that at um, DragonCon? Oh yeah, as like I said, down in the um, in the board gaming area, they have whole sections of tables that people play magic at. Okay, so if you're a magic player, you definitely can get your fill in there as well. Oh yeah, no, no problem at all. Well, I just assumed they did. I ha- I hadn't seen it myself, and we didn't mention it, so I just want to make sure we covered that. Things that require a certain amount of quiet, you know, or uh, th- like the the RPGing, that all takes place up in the upper floors, you know. Uh, but things where you know it doesn't sound is not really an issue. The ambience really isn't an issue. Like card games and board games, they were all together in a big, huge room that used to be the dealers' room before they moved that all over to the Marriott. Ah, okay. Yeah, the, uh, this this whole down below floor used to be where all the dealers' rooms used to be. I think that about sums it up for gaming. Um, so next year, when uh, when Dragon Con rolls around, uh, when do people want to register their games? Uh, when, when is that about, roughly? Well, um, I actually got an email from the director saying, "Hey guys, you know, gaming's been uh, you know been open for like two weeks, and maybe you want to put your events in." <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's 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 not so hard to get games like it is in other places. So uh, unless there's a particular game that you really, really want to go, and right now you can go online to uh, www.dragoncon.org and look at the gaming schedule and see what games were available. Well, most of those people are probably going to be coming back next year with more adventures. So if you like a particular game or something like that, then you might want to register early to get those. But otherwise, um, you know, really, uh, I didn't put my games in until like two months before DragonCon, so that was like June. Right, and I, I did mine around the same time. And matter of fact, I added that last one, uh, I think within a week or, or, no, 
I, I think I entered it the last day you were allowed to enter a game online. Right. And that's never a good idea, Peter, because people can't find out about it. I know. But I it was sort of a last minute thing. I was like, oh, I got another slot. I could throw another game in there. So I went ahead and did it. And it worked out. People played it. They had a yeah, good time. Pretty much everybody has gotten onto the whole, you know, onto the DragonCon app and the DragonCon program and, you know, that, that they have through the app and also through the website. So pretty much all your planning for DragonCon is going to occur through that. So if you don't get it there to be seen, there no... No one's going to advertise anywhere. There's not like a list of games anywhere but down in the RPG thing. And when I went down there, I mean, they they, you know, they had like a list, you know, a board that says, here's all the games and here's the slots they're in, but just titles. So, and if you wanted to know what they were, you pretty much had the, someone had to lend you your their phone or their iPad for you to look it up online. So you really, right. really want to do things online for uh, any of the gaming at DragonCon as far as things that require uh, a registration or, or buying a ticket that you don't just buy right there on the spot. Right. And I, and I would say go to, uh, go to like Dragon Con Facebook page and, and don't be afraid to pimp your game there, you know, uh, cause anyone can post there if you, if you like, you know, if you, you like the page, you can make a, you can put a post on there. So I would I would say if you're going to run a game, go ahead and, and and put it on there. If you're looking for a game, you might find somebody putting something on there. I haven't seen that yet, but that's I, I think that would be a neat tactic. Um, otherwise, I don't know how to drum up people to come to your how to like convince people to come to your game. They've either I guess they've either heard of you or they haven't. Or you know, a, a popular system seem to take off pretty well. Like Savage World seems to get players all the time. Um, oh, as a matter of fact, oh, when I was at um, this is something we missed. When I was at uh, Gen Con, uh, I was talking to Clint's wife, and she mentioned that uh, they were doing a Savage Sunday night at Dragon yes, Con. Yes, and I didn't even know about that. So it only lists two. I mean, it has the Game Masters of Black and Jody. So I don't know if there was just two Game Masters or those are the other ones that were registered. There could have been a, a ton of them. I just never even knew about it. So my, my next year, I'm going to have to contact them and say, hey, are you really doing, you know, we, we can get together and do it with you. Just like we did at Gen Con. Right, yeah, I completely forgot. It's, it's funny because I had so much going on with, with this podcast and with the TriTech podcast and running stuff for TriTech. I completely forgot about it until uh, Monday morning. Mike and I were heading out to the plane. I was like, oh, man, I forgot all about Savage Sunday night. I didn't even uh, didn't even go over there or anything. Well, I looked Saturday night to see if they had a Savage Saturday night and it wasn't there. It didn't occur to me to look to see if it was on Sunday night instead. So I just kind of missed out on it. Because otherwise, I would have scheduled mine with them, just because it's fun to do it with everybody. Just like it was fun to do it at DragonCon. I mean, at DragonCon. Sure. That was a lot of. So, so we'll have to, yeah, we'll have to make sure we get in touch with them before we put up games next year, so that we can uh, make sure that we get in on that. Yeah. Because then you know you have more people for the Savage uh, Sunday night. You know, it makes more of a, a thing, and plus it gives you a chance to uh, hobnob. Oh, you'll definitely have a you'll have a maxed out table. I mean, that was the, you know, when I said I had, I wanted six players for uh, Savage Saturday Night at Gen Con. I ended up with eight players. Oh, yeah. I went up with a full table. Yeah. So mine was more than four. And actually, and I had, I had somebody who wanted to join, but I just didn't have another slot for him. And, and the adventure I ran was uh, pretty tight. So it, it required, I, I couldn't just throw somebody in uh, there. That's, that's fine. As long if that's the way your game is. You know, I, I knew that I could handle a couple more, and I did. You know, but I had one idea, Bruce. One of the things uh, I thought would be a good idea for uh, for 
uh, Dragon Con, uh, sometimes, you know, you might only have two players. And then you're like, well, I think I can make it work. Um, I think if you're going to bring an adventure to Dragon Con, this is for any potential GMs going to Dragon Con, if you're not playing a really popular system, you're not running something that you, you know, you're pretty sure will, will gravitate a whole bunch of people to it, uh, I would say have an adventure that is scalable, that you're prepared that if you only get two players, you can still do it. So like, for example, let's say Bureau 13. I'm just going to use that as an example of a kind of game that you could do this with. So you have a Bureau 13 mission and it's got your team um, uh, and you got to prepare for like four or five or six people. I would make sure that you have in the adventure uh, an, an alternate way to run the adventure so that you can run it as like a buddy cop type adventure. Or, or as a, you know, a, you know, make sure it can be handled as a two-man team, uh, and you and you could run it with that, like I said, that whole buddy cop feel. Sure. Um, you know, just just because you don't really know if you're going to fill your table every single time with with the game that's not, you know, very popular. If you're doing Pathfinder, you're going to fill your table. And we gave out lots of prizes, which a lot of these games. I mean, everybody who won, uh, there was a prize for every game, which was a five dollar token in a dealer's room. But we were giving out $25 gift certificates to our games. So I was like, well, you know, here you just, here's, the, here's the prize offered by DragonCon, and here's our prize. Right, right, exactly. And we always like to do that. I think we do that every time. Well, yeah, because we're essentially promoting ourselves by giving out our own games. Right. Uh, and I think that's a great idea because we want people to buy these games, go home, and hopefully start a campaign. Now, do you think would... Would uh, Dragon Con have a problem with us selling uh, any of Rich's stuff there at the table? Uh, I would doubt it. Uh, I would doubt that they would have a problem with it. I mean, obviously, if you set up a whole table full of stuff and, and while you're running your game, they might have a problem with it. But I, in years past, I've set out stuff and said, hey, these are TriTac products. If you guys have never seen them, you want to buy them, here you go. Uh, but uh, I just didn't have enough product you know to actually sell to people which is which is a mistake on my part i should have had you know like a dozen copies of of the game that i was running so that people could buy them right there and then right well next year um next year we should probably think about doing that i have a uh i have a square for my iphone which i can run people's credit cards through so i could i could actually sell stuff if i mean because People use plastic so much these days. Uh, it's hard to expect them to have have cash, and it's sort of an inspiration buy. You know, they play the game, they had a good time. If you don't sell to them right away, they there's a good chance they may not follow up with it. But if you can sell them a book right then and there, um, it might be something they take home and play with their friends and really enjoy and actually, you know, really get something out of it. And Rich has so much stuff. I mean, there's so much TriTac product that we could sell you know if they play so let's say they play bureau 13 and they really like it you know they play in your adventure and they really love it and they're like wow that was a lot of fun you can tell them say hey look here's bureau 13 and we got a you know a whole packet for this but uh i also have this game called fringeworthy and just give them the quick spiel on that and say it's just as fun and, and this is what it is and you know they might even buy that too well it's it's possible i think you'd be i think you'd be more likely to sell more related games to the game you just demoed Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. But I know, um, I was talking to one guy who went to, a, he went to a convention and he was telling me how he, he had played a game and it was a convention that it was a small convention and they, they allowed the people sell whatever they wanted at their tables. They didn't care. Um, but he said that he played this game and he had a good time with it and he bought everything they had. 
He bought he bought one of everything. Mark Kinney did that to me one time. Did he really? I, I mean, well, it seemed that way. I mean, I, w- I went to a local convention here in Atlanta, and he was there, and he basically said, oh, well, do you have this? He, he basically knew every single product that was Bureau 13 related or Fringery related, and everything that he didn't have, he bought right there on the spot. It was like a $120 sale back when $120 was $120. <laughs> right. I got you. And I was amazed. I was like, man, Mark, you just paid for my trip to this convention. That's that's awesome. So yeah, we we should definitely do that next year. We should we should make sure that we have that set up. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you're going to go to Dragon Con uh, next year and you're going to get into the role playing, uh, you absolutely should look up the the TriTech guys. We're going to be running all kinds of stuff. Our games are really fun. Um, you know, Bureau Thirteen, uh, Fringeworthy, Hardware Hinterland. What else might we be running there? Uh, Anything else you can think of that you like to run at a convention? Uh, Beast Bunny Bimbos with blasters. Oh, God. So you've run one of those before at a convention. Is it, it's fun. Oh, many times. It's a great time. Yeah, because it's, you know, it's, it's uh, I, and I usually run them like, um, you know, like Bureau 13 uh, team origin stories. You know, that's, uh, but I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great setting uh, and it's, it works perfectly well in the Bureau 13 universe. Because you actually don't have to be part of, of you know, a, a, a Bureau of Thir- 13 team to do Beast Buddy Bibbles with Blasters. You could just be in the world, and then you get the benefit of the magic, you get the benefit of psionics and super science and all the other things. Because the Martians, they have all kinds, they, they have both mental powers and super science and bioengineering. So, you know, you, you're just basically taking a little interesting slice of that world and running, you know, your own, you know, an adventure with a very select group of people. And I would imagine the um, uh, that, that works really well with Savage Worlds as a, as a, as a... Haven't tried it yet. I'd love to try that. Well, I, next year. So, so yeah, if you're thinking about coming out and playing some games, come join us. We'll have a good time. And if you mention you're on this podcast, we'll come up with something special to give you. It's worth at least an extra Benny. Yeah, there you go. It's worth at least right. right. <laughs> I listen to your podcast, extra Benny. <laughs> right, free free uh, Bennies all around. You know, uh, you know, your favorite episode of the podcast has even another Benny. Right, there you go. Oh, uh, or or you get to raise one of your dice up one, you know, something like that. Just really have fun with it. The great thing about demos is that you're not. Li- it's not like a campaign. You can you can do crazy stuff that would break a campaign, but you could just you know, throw caution to the wind. Oh yeah, and that's that's how I try to make sure I write my adventures. So it's just it's just crazy, like not crazy off the wall, but oh yeah, uh, it's it's a lot crazy higher off the roof adventure. Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's just you know, like like the one adventure where they're fighting raptors and T Rexes and sleaze stags. Yeah, um, you know, that's just it's just all good fun. Um, and, and I try to I try to give them characters that. Uh, are characters that you might not play in a long-term campaign. So find the TriTech podcast on iTunes. Uh, make sure you uh, you Google the uh, uh, Clockwork Drama Deck. Uh, it's in it, it's in Kickstarter now, but it uh, by the time you hear this, it's probably done with the Kickstarter. But uh, Steve is going to be selling it through uh, Drive Through RPG. Um, and we'll probably mention it. We'll probably throw a commercial on on this podcast at some point when it when it's ready to go right on to uh, drive through. But that was a really awesome deck. Um, uh, and I think that's about it. So, all right, good job, and we will see you at the con. Mm-hmm.
What's more fun than a barrel of monkeys? MonkeyCon 1! <laughs> MonkeyCon 1 is a virtual role-playing game convention over Skype. MonkeyCon 1 will be held as a two-day event on October 19th and 20th, 2012. MonkeyCon 1 is a free convention, and all the events are free. FREE! Sign up to attend games and panels in one of the six time slots. Sign up at www.conplanner.com slash mc1. Remember, that's www.conplanner.com slash mc1. Come and enjoy two days of giving fun at MonkeyCon. <laughs> Yo, the Dry Dad Games podcast belongs to the bad mother. Shut The Dry Dad Games. Listen up, you brothers. The Dry Dad Games podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivative 3.0 license. So don't go to anything bad or hunt you down. We are.